0: Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. We offer insights and perspectives on sticky situations to help you analyze your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, and I'm joined by wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike.
1: Morning, Marna. Morning, Kelly, and morning to all our listeners.
0: Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about some follow up on topics from previous shows because there is current or updated information to share about them. So, let's get started. I also want to tell you after this episode, there won't be any episodes in August, but we'll be back in September with new episodes. We're going to take a summer hiatus to research, regroup, retool, take a break, and we look forward to joining you in the fall. All right, so the first topic I want to revisit is the one we did on found money. That was a couple seasons ago. And by the way, I'll post links to all these old shows on Instagram and our website. We talked about unclaimed money. And once more, a reminder, if you listen to this show, not only will you become wiser, but you may also become wealthier. It happened to me. Kelly told us about searching for unclaimed property through state controller websites. I checked it and I found $50 in Rhode Island, where I used to live, from a rebate program that I was a part of and forgot about. Apparently my rebate check had been floating around in the mail and got sent unclaimed money or whatever. So I filed for it, and I got my $50. My daughter recently did it for herself, and in the process, she found me another $50 from an overpayment I made on a hospital bill in Rhode Island. So I'll be filing for that. Net gain of $100 from working on this show. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Can you remind us again how to check for unclaimed money?
2: Sure, absolutely. The best website, I think, is at unclaimed.org. And that is the website of the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators, or NOPA. It's a network of the National Association of State Treasurers. And that's where the money is held at the state level. It's actually billions of dollars that's held by state governments and treasuries in the US. There's no charge to search. And find your lost money, and it can include all sorts of things, just to repeat, like uncashed checks, bank accounts, insurance proceeds, refunds, credits, from or, or deposits, safe deposit box contents, stocks, bonds, and dividends, utility deposits, or rent deposits that maybe you didn't remember to get or recover. So, There's all sorts of stuff out there. And this website, it gives just extensive information. And it even has like a map of the United States. You can float over it, pick your state. It'll link you right with the treasurer's website and the area that covers unclaimed property. And off you go. And it even has links to a few Canadian provinces. Puerto Rico, the United States Virgin Islands. It tells you how to search if you'd like to do a multi-state search. So I think it's just fabulous and easy to operate, easy to use.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff, Kelly. And I also want to remind our listeners, even if you've checked it before, check it again, because these records are updated and something might have appeared since last time you checked it.
2: Yeah. And can I just say one more thing, Marna, and that is really watch out for fraud. You want to go do this yourself. If anybody contacts you and says, oh, you know, we've got some unclaimed property, we've got this. Do not trust that. Do not respond to that. You're not going to get a text or an email alert about you know, lost
0: money or especially if property. it's from somebody in Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good tip. <laughs>
2: so, anyways, a Nigerian we'll post... prince, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll post the website, and um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot out there for folks. Um, the website says one in ten people have property out there. I know Virginia says one in four. So it's wow. it's pretty common. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, as I was listening to all the things that you listed that you, you might have a windfall from, I thought, well, that's a lot. That could affect a lot of people. When you go to these websites, be thorough. Check under your various names. Like mine was under my old married name. So married names, maiden names. Check all the states that you've lived in. I've certainly lived in a lot of states. So I got to check all the various states. And you just never know what you find. And if you do find something, let us know. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Wow, it's like a treasure hunt. Exactly. I love love treasure hunts.
2: (laughs) Marna, those are great tips. And the website talks about that. And also they recommend, you know, any state, if you happen to have your own business, any state that you did business in, you know, as far as if you had a small company or an entity of that kind, you should also
0: check according to that. Thanks, Kelly. Let's move on to the next topic. Way back in February of 2021, I asked Kelly and Mike to critically think me through the question of whether I should break up with Amazon and Amazon Prime. It was prompted by an impulse to support my local economy, first of all, but it became more urgent... After Amazon kicked Parler off their web servers, I didn't like undermining the First Amendment like that and the heavy-handedness of it. Things then took a dark turn during our podcast as we examined Amazon's sordid business practices. And Kelly, I believe you did some research and enlightened us on what they were doing, poaching products, asking for their specs as part of the um, agreement with Amazon. And then they would poach the products, manufacture them and undersell them and so forth. Yeah.
2: I would direct people. The Wall Street Journal had a great article in December of last year How Amazon Wins by Steamrolling Rivals and Partners. CEO Jeff Bezos still runs the e commerce giant with the drive of a startup trying to survive. And that strand of its corporate DNA is becoming a liability.
0: Right. We'll post that link, by the way, in our show notes.
2: And they're even, I, I know you have more to say, Marna, but they're even now. The Wall Street Journal had an article or two this past week. They're even now trying to get into healthcare.
0: Yes, they just bought some big healthcare organization. What did yep. they buy, Kelly? I
2: forget the name it's, of it. It's um, like one
0: of those minute clinic chains or yes, something. Yes,
2: it, it, it is and you know they're they're going to start to get involved in providing health care at these sort of emergency care or immediate care centers. So we can post that article from the Wall Street Journal as well.
0: Okay. So at the end of the show, as we had talked about this, and I learned a lot of stuff I didn't know, Kelly and Mike asked me what I was going to do. And I told them I was going to leave Amazon. However, I had just paid up my Amazon Prime account until the end of 2021. So I stayed with it until my membership expired and then I didn't renew it. So it's now July 2022, and I wanted to report on how my life sans Amazon is going. I don't miss it. I don't miss (laughs) it at all. No. Now, the caveat is I live alone. I live simply. I don't have a lot of needs. I understand that my life might not align with big families. Or, for example, like Mike lives in kind of a rural area, not a lot of stores there. So I understand that, but I have stores around me if I need them going to and from my workplace. I have drugstore, grocery store, hardware store. I'll stop in there, get what I need. I tend to buy clothing from a catalog that offers free shipping and free returns. Sometimes I will still use Amazon as a search engine, but then I'll go to the merchant's website and buy from them directly, not Amazon. I wondered if I would miss Amazon Prime video for the streaming, but I don't. I check out DVDs from my local library. I also have the streaming service Canopy with a K from my local library, which I love and highly recommend. You'll see some movies and documentaries, classic films on there that you won't find anywhere else. I still have my Netflix account, and my children gave me a year of showtime for my birthday, which was last month. Mm. And just as a shout-out, we did a podcast on twists on traditional gift-giving, and I mentioned my daughter, who loves to give these non-material gifts. She's great at it. Just shout out to her there Mm -hmm. and my son. And as for books, I will use my local library. I will patronize the used book nooks there. I will go to my local bookstore. If I want to order online, I go to bookshop.org. I'll post that link as well, which is a website which supports local independent bookshops. So, no, I don't miss Amazon. I encourage you to try leaving Amazon. It's kind of a false dependency. Leaving it has helped me get back to mindful purchasing rather than the ease of, you know, click, 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 immediate gratification. Not to mention, I no longer have to take all those cardboard boxes to the recycle point. So, that's good.
1: Do you think you spend less, Marna?
0: I think I do. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Because of the mindfulness of spending.
1: Right. right. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just not buy.
1: Well, that's not hey. a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> I independent think of Amazon, just kind of cutting back on our
2: consumption. No, that is, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: that yeah, that is that's, a good thing. That's really good. But <laughs> Reduce, think, reuse, recycle. Yeah.
2: But I think generally without Amazon, you would pay more because they drive, you know, they have these really low prices to drive their competitors out of business. By the way, I just checked as as you were talking, and they just purchased one medical for $3.9 billion. Um, It's a tech-focused primary care company. So they're expanding their interests in the healthcare industry. So I thought I'd share that. And we can post the article also from the Wall Street
0: Journal. We're going to have a lot of links to post from this (laughs) show.
2: I'm a total hypocrite. I (laughs) totally agree with what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I can't do it. (laughs) I love Amazon Prime. Like, I wouldn't give that up.
1: Yeah, you mean the streaming, Kelly?
2: Yeah, the streaming. Yeah. I mean, yes, sorry. Thank you for Mm -hmm. correcting Mm -hmm. uh, or helping me clarify. Also, our family just uses Amazon a lot. You know, everybody's kind of all over the place. Oftentimes, the kids need books for college or certain things and it's just easy they they have access to our account or we want to ship something you know our son lives in alaska we can easily do that it's just lame excuses from me but there you go have you heard of primnesia (laughs) (laughs) no explain it to me marna (laughs) oh jeez. you
0: you shop from amazon prime so much you can't remember what you bought when it arrives at your oh no, no
2: yeah no that's not an issue for us we're not like crazy that
1: happens to me mara but it has nothing to do with amazon it's just <laughs> i forget everything all the time so it's like christmas like oh they brought me a package i wonder who this is from
0: <laughs> and it's something you ordered for yourself <laughs> yeah it's wonderful
1: you know you just surprise that's yourself to, all the time
0: that's got to be a leading indicator of something mike <laughs>
1: That's Dementia. another topic on another day, Marna. <laughs> okay, we don't want to get into that now. All right. I just want to say I'm really glad Kelly led with Total Hypocrite because Marna yes. was being it's all so righteous true. there and and with good reason. And I get it. And I guess my time is valuable to me.
0: Yeah, and, and I totally understand that.
1: And, you know, for me to sometimes find these little niche things that I need, like a, just some obscure like park to fix something or something like that that amazon just makes it really easy and um i've really tried to like do that retail shopping by calling shops and because if you drive around oh that's a huge waste of time and and fuel but uh, you yeah can and call bad for them, the
2: environment obviously. it
1: sometimes takes so long so anyhow amazon is a, is a crutch and it's a
2: it's an addiction, Mike.
1: Okay, maybe you're right, Kelly. Maybe you're right. That's again, that's another least, topic. So we're going to talk me. about my memory on one episode, and then we're going to talk about my dependencies on about... another episode. Okay.
0: Are you feeling um, persecuted, Mike?
1: No, it's, it's okay. Hey, I can I can hang on with you two. Um, so, but I've lost my train of thought. Man, I'm, I <laughs> Sorry, forgot I, it. Jeez, how well, did you that were happen?
2: Just, you were just talking <laughs> about the convenience and that your time yeah. is is valuable. Yeah.
1: I am like you, Kelly, I'm a bit of a hypocrite, but again, we live in a pretty quiet part of the country and we just don't have the dense retail options that you guys do. True. And, um, you know, our Best Buy in Plattsburgh just went out of business. Oh, or no. Or just didn't, Best Buy didn't go out of business, but they closed the shop. So that was a place I could what go. a
0: tragedy.
1: Yeah. I yeah, mean, what a
0: resource. I you know, I understand that. That's why yeah. I, I made those caveats to mm-hmm. uh, people with more complicated lives than I have. Kelly yeah. has a couple kids. Well, I mean, you
2: know. here's the sad thing. I totally agree with you. Like, I don't often, you know, like a lot of times you disagree with someone and so you do things differently the sad thing is i totally agree with you and i continue in my indefensible ways and i don't seem to care which is do you need a 12-step program i need something (laughs) i need need to think about this amazon thing a little bit more and try to follow through it's it's sort of like trying to lose weight it's a problem
0: well let us know how it goes and (laughs) if you have a if i have a change of heart let's talk about it
1: all right well okay so you got me all stirred up now based on amazon what's next morna
0: all right the next one we're going to talk about is roundabouts
1: oh geez what a letdown (laughs) amazon to roundabouts (laughs) yeah okay
0: we're talking about the range of things here we did a show on these and the protocol of navigating them they're not too well known in america but i'm seeing more and more of them i was on 95, not too long ago, took an exit near Savannah. And at the bottom of the exit, they had built this new traffic circle to get people off and on the exit and the through traffic on the crossroad navigating through. That was brand new. I saw one at the Walmart shopping center near where I live. There's a new one in my small town. I came across one in Virginia Beach, brand new, off 64, and I noticed in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is still a pretty rural undeveloped area, but it's getting more developed. They have taken all these two-lane country road intersections and proactively built roundabouts at these intersections in anticipation of more traffic. So I mentioned this to my friend who lives there, and she said, yeah, they're working out pretty well once people learned how to use them. So (laughs) that seems to be the weak link in America is we don't know how to navigate traffic circles or roundabouts. So Mike, you spend a lot of time in Europe. I know they have more of them there. Remind us again what the protocol is.
1: Yeah, well, I just, as a follow-up to your Comment on Loudoun County, Virginia, folks. They're not that hard. Okay, it's not rocket science.
0: It's, it's not, not rocket a roundabout, science. Roundabout.
1: Okay, so essentially, it's this: if you're in the roundabout, you're in. You have the priority. If you're out, you're out. So in, priority. Out, no priority. Um, that's how they work, and you know they're brilliant. And they are something that is increasingly present in our country. Right now, we have about 8,000 roundabouts, last count. I'm sure that number is a little out of date now. What that translates to is like one out of every 1,100 intersections in the United States is now a roundabout. And the reason they work so well is that they. Keep traffic moving. You don't wait at stoplights. You don't come to a complete stop at a stop sign. It's very likely that you will come up to a roundabout. There's nobody in the roundabout, so you just keep on rolling. Now you do have to slow down, so they're safer. One of the things that I think is one of the most horrific um, traffic accidents in any country is when you have someone who runs a stop sign or a red light and you have a massive intersection at high, a massive accident at high speeds in an intersection. And uh, in a roundabout, those don't happen. Yeah, that's
0: terrible. So
1: I think everybody who's really passionate about roundabouts should go to YouTube and look up roundabouts and look at some of the crazy things that have happened in our country in roundabouts. And I watched two last night. It was remarkable. One is a guy who came flying into a roundabout, didn't slow down because he didn't see a stop sign or a stoplight. And the roundabout had a raised center. So it was it was um it was higher than the rest of the street. And it served as a ramp and it launched him in a you know, just this incredible flying. It was like out of the movies. So it came flying into the roundabout, hit the raised section in the middle, and the car flew through the air for hundreds of feet. So that wasn't a good thing. And then the other one, which is just downright funny, is there is some aerial photography of a new roundabout that was just opened somewhere in Kentucky. And obviously they hadn't spent much time telling people how they work. And to watch like the first 15 cars go through it. (laughs) And they're going every which way. They're going backwards. It is, just look, Google roundabout in Kentucky and you will see this. If you're having a bad day and you need a laugh, watch that video. We
0: will post that link as well. Yeah. So main thing, people in the traffic circle have the right of way.
1: That's right. You're
0: entering it, you have to yield. That's correct. You you can't just Mm -hmm. barge in there. Mm -hmm. And I will say that these double-lane traffic circles kind of throw me off. You have to get in the inner lane if you won't be exiting anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're something you need to become comfortable with. But once you get it and, like, you add a roundabout to your commute, it definitely makes a difference because it keeps traffic moving. Traffic engineers, city planners, they love them.
0: So it's a good thing. But it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah. In the meantime, we all may be the Griswolds in London going around and around the traffic circle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you that Kathy and I just got back from Germany and uh, Germany has a lot of traffic circles. And, you know, between not being totally good with German as a language and not quite knowing where we were going. There was more than once that I took a couple extra laps in a roundabout, which is perfectly fine. Just keep driving in a circle until I was sure which exit I wanted to take. Because sometimes there were four or five exits, sometimes six. So it was it was gave me a pause. Yeah, Uh, well
0: that's that is the beauty of roundabouts is that's your fallback. Just take another lap. Figure it out. (laughs) Maybe more than one lap around a circle. Round and round and round.
1: I'm sure you two are going to have fun with this one. There goes okay. Mike again. He's just driving around the roundabout. There he goes. <laughs> All right. on Before we close, Marna, I have, a, I have a question. Well, it's not really a question. It's a little factoid that relates to you because I know you hail from the great state of Indiana. Which town do you think has the most roundabouts in the United States.
0: Savannah, Georgia.
1: Carmel, Indiana has oh, forty no roundabouts.
0: That's a new fairly new development in the last yeah, 20 yeah. years or so, so that explains some forward-thinking people put. So they have they Indiana. have a Yeah, really? No, I do.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's a wonderful Good. state. My Good. I have some cousins there and mm-hmm. you know, my uncle still lives there. It's it's just a wonderful it's a great place beautiful and a great place to raise a family and Mm -hmm. Notre Dame's there which is a plus. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's
0: all good.
1: Yeah Kathy and I went to grad school in Indiana.
0: That's right. uh, Bloomington. Sure uh, did. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're a Hoosier.
1: I'm a Hoosier and now my oldest son is going to IU so. Great. Yeah. All right so if we want to continue down the trivia path Wisconsin has the most roundabouts in the country among our states. You wouldn't have seen that one come.
2: I was recently in Wisconsin, and we definitely went through some roundabouts when I went down into
0: Madison. I'm not going to lie. It was confusing.
1: We can talk about this offline, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm pretty good at them now.
0: So So that just reinforces what we've been saying is roundabouts are coming to this country Mm -hmm. about 100 years later than other countries. (laughs) So (laughs) figure them out, folks. folks. Do your part figure them out they are definitely a beneficial feature in a community i think thanks mike the next topic we're going to talk about and we have an update is from the podcast sports teams with insensitive names we did a show on this insensitive names or racist names kelly and i are graduates of william and mary when we were there we were the william and mary indians they're now the william and mary tribe the cleveland indians are now the cleveland guardians The Atlanta Braves are still the Braves, and the Kansas City Chiefs are still the Chiefs. However, the Washington, D.C. football team, who used to be the Washington Redskins, has a new name. We speculated at great length what the new name could be. Among some of the options, Red Hogs, Admirals, Red Tails, Presidents monuments, and the Red Wolves, which was an initial fan favorite, was ruled out early in the process because of copyright and trademark hurdles. But Kelly, can you fill us in? What name did the Washington football team eventually select? Commanders. The Washington Washington Commanders. Commanders.
2: Yep. And first, full disclosure, I sort of have a conflict of interest because I'm a very big philadelphia eagles fan so the eagles and the former redskins now the commanders i have to get used to saying that are in the yeah. same division and there's just a rivalry so it's hard for me to say anything
0: positive
2: about the washington football team <laughs> do your best
1: Kelly, yes. Kelly, So I'll, i'm gonna
2: try come on.
1: aren't you an and, attorney Kelly? can't you <laughs> yes, can't I'm, you step out of these problems and look at them objectively
2: Yes, I'm trying, Mike, okay, but you know, okay. it's important. I'm not a journalist, but you've got to <laughs> disclose any potential conflicts or mm. things that could impact okay. what you're what you're saying. So thank Kelsey. you for your candor, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. So I think we all agree that names should not be racist and a derogatory name for American Indians should go and clearly the Redskins is a derogatory name so totally made sense to change it I'm not so certain about the Cleveland Indians or you know the William and Mary Indians or the Kansas City Chiefs I don't know that those are you know racist or derogatory that's just my opinion because remember when teams pick a mascot a representative they're not picking a loser they're not like let me pick the biggest loser out there they're they're usually picking a mascot to honor that mascot and because they want to be like that mascot and have the traits of that mascot so i think like the indians the fighting irish the canucks you know that's meant to honor those people that group of people so, you know, and acknowledge their qualities of greatness. That's just my opinion. As far as the Washington commanders go, they have like a ton of issues and problems. You know, in in July of 2021, they were fined $10 million for a workplace culture that was considered to be, you know, inappropriate. And there were numerous allegations of sexual harassment. Their owner is currently being investigated. There's been alleged financial improprieties. And they're alleged not, you know, they're not been founded, but of the franchise hiding revenues from the other 31 teams. So Congress is looking into this. So I just think The Washington Commanders have a lot of issues that are bigger than their name. Yeah, and I just wonder how long Daniel Snyder is going to continue to own the team. Wow. It's Mm -hmm. just, again, not a Washington Redskins or Commanders fan. But this was a wonderful franchise. I mean, a franchise, a model franchise, sort of like the New York Yankees or the Dallas Cowboys. It was so hard to get tickets and seats. I mean, the waiting list was like generations. People would leave their seat as part of their estates. They were so valuable. And now I just think the franchise is in shambles. So that's a long answer to your question. So Washington Commanders. So Yay. it sounds
1: like the name change is the least of their worries.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's,
0: that's what know? I think. I
1: mean, everybody's <laughs> totally. been yeah. focused on that, and it sounds like the place is just coming apart.
0: It does. It <laughs> now that I they've selected so. a new name, it's time to address these bigger problems. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, wow. I think Commander's is pretty good. Although I, I do. Got, it did. Yeah. yeah I it doesn't got used
1: exactly to... trip off the tongue, but uh, it's a lot yeah. of syllables.
2: I kind of got used to the Washington football team. That sort of sounded, you know, but you know, <laughs> I think Commander's is fine. I...
0: They said they believe it embodies the values of service and leadership that really define the DMV. They call it the District, Maryland, and Virginia, which is the community of that football team. Wow,
1: I've never heard that acronym before, no. DMV. Well,
0: Military District of Washington, you know, there's a lot of military there, so yeah. kind of partial to the name, and it's a yeah. very strong name. So it is. I think it was a good choice.
2: I do, too. Like, I mean, I like the Cleveland Indians, and I wish they didn't change their name, but Cleveland Guardians, I don't know. I'm not, that's mm. kind of,
0: well, last night I pulled up a website with a, a bunch of college and high school teams that had Native American names. And some of them I thought were pretty innocuous, but they changed them, like Warriors or Braves. It-
1: mm-hmm. It's definitely a minefield. You know, if you're not in that world and you don't think in those terms and you don't know all those sensitivities, you, you can really get in trouble.
2: Ultimately, I think that these decisions are economic. I realize that that just shows... How skeptical I am. But I don't think that the Washington Redskins changed their name to the Washington Commanders because of pressure from American Indians. I'd like to think that's why they did it, but it's not. It's because, you know, their sponsors insisted and their fans insisted they did it. Because the marketplace drove it.
1: Yes, the rise of corporate power.
0: That's Speaking happened. of Indiana, I remember when they built the um, dome for mm-hmm. football in Indiana. There, mm-hmm. there was a long, long discussion about what to call it. They finally decided on Hoosier Dome of all names. A few years after that, they scrapped that name and it went to the highest bidder, the RCA right. Dome or whatever. Right.
1: Yeah, they did the same with Mile High Stadium in Denver. Which did they I change thought the was name? A great name. You know, yeah. It is. It is like exactly at a mile above sea level. And and uh, yeah, so now. But I
0: thought the agreement was they were going to keep Mile High in the name.
1: It's, it's whoever the whoever the sponsor is at Mile High. Okay, that's how they do it.
0: Well, I guess that's a compromise. Yeah. Hey, shall we move on to a less controversial topic?
1: What do you have for us next, <laughs> Marna?
0: We did two episodes devoted to you, Mike, you and Kathy, and your mm-hmm. two hundred and ten mile, nineteen day hike. Mm-hmm. on the John Muir Trail. Those episodes were called Trail Magic and Leave No Trace. And I will post links to those on the show notes. Right. So we got quite a bit of feedback from our listeners. They really liked those shows and they liked Kathy being on the show. Kathy's like a, a contributing editor to the show, as well as other people in our lives, either through feedback or sounding boards or whatever they're they're a part of the show. I think we ought to bring Kathy on again as a a fourth panelist.
1: Well, I know she would enjoy that. Talk to her and
0: see what she thinks. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. I
2: totally agree.
0: This is a question from a listener. Actually, we got this question more than once. Who is John Muir, and why is there a trail named after him?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So a little bit about John Muir then. John Muir was born in Scotland in 1838, and when he was 11 years old, he emigrated to the United States with his family. They ended up in California. He lived a very uh, varied life, let's say. He had this compulsion, this draw to the mountains and to the wild places. And uh, so he went into, as a young man, he went into the Sierra Nevada, which is that remarkable chain of mountains which runs north-south in California, kind of uh, over towards the Nevada border. It was his place. He fell in love with that place. Although he worked really hard to have a complete life, you know, with a family and he was a farmer and, you know, in California, he just, he, he knew that he, his happy place was in the mountains. And he also was a very talented communicator and writer. And so it's the writings of John Muir. And he wrote a lot that brought the Sierra Nevada into people's thinking. And, So in 1890, based on many of the writings of John Muir, Congress established Yosemite Park because he argued that this is a place we must take care of. This is a place we must save. We just can't log it and graze it and develop it. So when they built this trail, the John Muir Trail, um, which we can talk more about that later if you want, but they just named it after John Muir. He didn't design it. He didn't build it himself. So that's a little bit about John Muir.
0: Now, his writings, were they all about conserving this piece of land, or did he do other kinds of writing?
1: Well, I'm not fully informed on that, Marna. He wrote a lot, and he primarily wrote about the wilderness and the magic of the mountains and the natural world. And uh, he has many famous quotes, some of which I really relate to. One, I think, which is probably the top of most people's lists is, the mountains are calling and I must go.
0: Um, I didn't know that was his quotation. I love that.
1: Yeah, it really is. I get that. I love to go into the mountains. We are fortunate to live right on the edge of the Adirondack Mountains, and Kathy and I spend a lot of time in the Adirondacks. And then another favorite I have that gets me going every now and then is, uh, between... Every two pine trees, there is a door leading to a new way of life.
0: So. He's a bit of a poet, isn't he? Yeah.
1: Oh, he was. He definitely was. He could turn a phrase, and uh, it was his writing that allowed people to understand and appreciate the Sierra Nevada, because it's hard to get up in there. They're very remote. They're very, it's very unforgiving terrain, uh, remarkably beautiful terrain, but very, very difficult place to travel through.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I don't think I'll be hiking 210 miles, but I can certainly go to the library and get one of his books and read it. Mike, while I have you here, I'm on Facebook with your wife, Kathy, Mm -hmm. and she just posted a bunch of pictures about your latest trip to Germany. And they looked so wonderful. You used to live there, right? When you were in the military, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you went back. Can you talk a little bit about your trip to Germany? Because our listeners do seem to like hearing about your adventures.
1: Yeah, we just got back. We spent uh, a little over two weeks there. And the reason we went this time is our son, William, is um, on a nine-month deployment to Germany. William is a helicopter pilot. And um, what we do now in the Army is we send entire units to Germany, sometimes Poland, but Europe— and Korea back in the day you know when you were a helicopter pilot marna entire units were stationed in these places so you you were right. there for years and now they just rotate them over 9 months at a time and so william has been in bavaria at a remote little airfield Kind of uh, in the middle of the farm fields it's in the middle of nowhere and it's it's difficult for these for these soldiers who go overseas because they they don't have their families they don't have their friends they don't have vehicles they're just there and it's six or seven days of work per week and you know there's a lot of tension because of the war going on in Ukraine although they're not directly involved in it. And so it's been a challenging time for William and all of his entire unit. So we went over just because we wanted to kind of see him and check in on him. But also, you know, we lived there 30 years ago. So it's a really neat return. Had a great time with William. His oldest brother came with us, and that was Ryan. So we had two of our boys there, and we had a couple long weekends with William. And then in the weeks, Kathy and I kind of went around and visited uh, some... Places and uh, I, I'd say one thing that was most heartening was we went to the little town where we lived for three years, and we lived in this beautiful little house. And we drove by and we stopped and uh, got out, and I went up and looked at the door, and the name of our landlady was on the door. Her name is Marga, and. So we knocked on the door and Marga came to the door. We had not seen Marga since 1992. She recognized us and she's now 80 years old. So She
0: recognized you? She
1: recognized us. Yeah, wow. We were, we were, you know, I think we were among her favorite tenants.
0: Of you course know, our you old,
1: were. Our oldest son was born there. She was she was always around when the baby was born and came to his christening. It was really fun. It was really special and she invited us in. When you're in Germany and you get invited in to someone's home in the afternoon, you can invariably find that they will serve you what's known as Kaffee and Kuchen, which means coffee and cake. So we had Kaffee and Kuchen. It was uh, was very special.
0: Well, nice. And yeah. I'm going to ask Kathy if we can post a picture or two from your trip on our Instagram. Yeah, There were some cute ones there. One of you and your landlady. <laughs> yeah.
1: She was an English teacher. That was just, she had not spoken much English in decades. She's been retired for 20 years. She was just overjoyed to see us and we were equally pleased.
2: Did you tell her about the podcast, Mike?
1: We talked about a lot of things, Kelly. I don't think we got to the podcast.
2: I don't know if you can send her the info. She might yeah, she might enjoy yeah. at least listening to this one show and Oh
1: yeah. Well, shout out to Marga. <laughs> The rest of the time, when we weren't with William on the weekends, we went and visited places we used to live, like I said, and then we went down to the Alps and hiked and biked and soaked in thermal baths and did a lot of fun German things. So, great trip. How Big long fan. were
0: you gone? Two weeks. Oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. It does sound great. All right, thanks for sharing that, Mike. Yeah. And like I said, we'll try to post a picture on our Instagram. All right. That's going to be all for us this week. And for the rest of the summer, we'll be taking our summer hiatus in August and we'll resume production in September. Check out our Instagram at ethics etiquette for updates. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email inbox at ethics Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for your support during our four seasons so far. For Kelly Halligan, Zimmerman, and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Have a good summer, and we'll be back with you in the fall.